what a journey that we have been on. Um, I've had a lot of conversations, probably more conversations out of this series than any other series with, with people either in the throes of being stuck, uh, some absolutely in the mire of it and can't even fathom being free of it, others that have celebrated uh, what we've talked about, victory for, for years, and, uh, but are, are cautiously optimistic that they will continue to have victory in their life in all points in between. We, we kind of, I've journeyed the whole link. This morning, uh, Judith met me in the, in the foyer and she told me that for 50 years she's wanted to stop smoking, has not been able to stop smoking. She said, I'm five days free from smoking. She needs a round of applause and encouragement. As she shared that with me, tears, excitement, just bubbling over, and also this kind of fear of, uh, of am I going to slip? Am I going to go back? Because this has been an area, in her own words, that Satan has been has had me, and he's not going to have me any longer, as she declared it this morning, and I'm excited about that. I told you about Tom last week, who shared, one of our greeters, uh, it comes to our first gathering. He shared with me how for 30 years he's been, he's been, uh, dealing with, or I guess it would be called an alcoholic or dealing with alcoholism for, for 30 years. Now he corrected me last week that actually it was just six months that the alcohol of the alcoholism had him. He said that first six months that he was getting freedom from alcoholism is what, what he dealt with. He said for the, past 29 and a half years, I've been struggling with the ism. And I said, Tom, I'm not the brightest light in the chandelier. What is an ism? Uh, and he said, I stands for I, S stands for self, and M stands for me or myself. He said, the real issue I found in my whole recovery of 30 years at this and still goes to AA meetings. The whole recovery issue is not over alcohol. It's over the ism that he's been dealing with. It's over the self that he's been wrestling with. And you put any other word in front of an ism and you really have just a manifestation, whether it's workaholism, shopping isms, or whatever other ism you want to put in front of there. It's really us trying to fix the ism of us. And that's what, that's what really the scriptures point us to. It's, it's not all the other things. That's just the manifestations of a greater internal conflict. Jesus referred to this in Mark chapter 7. Whenever he says it, it's what comes out of the person that defiles him, but far, uh, before it's from what, what is within the person. You know, we're worried about all the stuff on the outside getting in, but it's the stuff that's on the inside getting out. That's where sexual immorality comes from, theft, murder, all those other things. The laundry list of things come from. That comes from inside of us, the filth of inside of us. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. So let's get to the root of the problem if you're stuck here. It's not the outside world penetrating into our hearts. It's our own heart on the inside that needs to be dealt with. James, the half-brother of Jesus, and we'll be in the book of James today, so you can be finding it in the latter part of your New Testament. James said this in chapter 1, verse 14, each person is tempted when, he gives the process here, when they are dragged. Sounds pretty violent, doesn't it? When they are dragged away by what? The big evil devil? The world's ungodliness? No. Their own evil 
desires, their attractions, the word here. That, that's what entices them. That's what brings us away. If we're going to deal with the root of stuckness, it's not the, it's not the stuff on the front end. It's the ism on the back end. It's, it's ourself. Now, we're not going to fix this in, in five weeks. This is not a, a five easy steps and, and then you're out the door and free and clear. This is a process that we started in the first of the year, but we're going to continue right on. Even though the series won't be called Stuck, we're going to be going in some different directions, but the stuck theme will continue to go on in some areas. The women's Bible study launches uh, here in a couple of weeks or about a week and a half called Stuck, and they're going to be offering a study on this very topic. It's interesting. I've done all the research on the series of messages had kind of put it together, and then I came across a Bible study called Stuck. And I thought, man, I missed it. They published it before I got there. But anyway, the, the, not all the same concepts, but yet still some of the same ideas of getting freedom in areas that we are stuck in. And uh, Rachel will be, be leading this, and so if you're interested in that, ladies, you can sign up for that. Body Life groups can go through this if they want to do that on their own. They can talk to me about that if they're interested in that. Students, this next weekend is one weekend, the biggest weekend of the year, single biggest in, uh, impactful weekend of the year. And this is, is if, if this whole idea of I don't want to be stuck resonates with you, the whole theme is RE, renew, refresh. Everything it takes to get out of being stuck and being free in your own life will be talked about and dealt with this weekend. So I look forward to you being a, a part of that. It's the biggest weekend of the year. But the real antidote The real secret sauce, if you will, to getting free is this man named Jesus, all right? And that's where the freedom is going to lie. And where we're going to go from this series in the next few weeks is what I'm calling the final seven, all right? Now, it's going to be in March, and you know in March it's the final four. Well, we're going to talk about the final seven. And we're not going to talk about in basketball terms. We're going to talk about, I believe, the most intimate And the most vulnerable time of Christ speaking is when he is hanging on the cross. He makes seven statements, sometimes gasping for air, calculating his words, what he's going to say, how he's going to say it, what's the last thing they need to hear before he breathes his last breath. And we're going to look at the final seven statements that Jesus made, which I, again, I come back, ties completely back to what we've been studying. It ties back here because it goes back to the passage in Romans chapter 7 that we read on the very first week. What did Paul say? He said, wretched man that I am, whenever he's encountered with all of his uh, 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 stuckness, if you will, who will rescue me? Not what will rescue me, what diet plan will free me, what what financial peace plan will free me, what, 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 but who? Who will rescue me? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The secret sauce is Jesus. The secret answer to this is Christ. And so we're going to come in a very intimate, vulnerable moment in the ministry of Christ. And we're going to look at that. That will lead us right up to Easter. On Easter Sunday, we're going to launch a new series of messages. Because hopefully, we've gone through stuck. You found some little bit of a... A little bit of freedom in that, at least the beginnings of it. And then we've gone through the seven statements of Christ and you found the real secret to freedom. And then I'm hoping that 
On Easter Sunday, when we start this series, what on earth am I here for? That will be a question you'll truly be asking. Not how do I get free from this because you're living in freedom. But hopefully you'll be asking the question, now why am I here? And we're going to start that, and that'll be an entire journey throughout the church. The children will be asking the same question. The preschoolers will be asking the same question. It's going to be a total church-wide emphasis. So that's just where we're going. It doesn't just end here today as we talk about these, this area of stuckness, as we deal with being stuck. I said something last week, and I want to make sure you got it. Breakthroughs seldom happen without breakdowns. There tends to be something that materializes. There tends to be something that falls apart. Somebody gets caught, found out. Everything you propped yourself up under all of a sudden get, gets crumbled and, and brought down. And then all of a sudden the breakdown happens. And it's at that moment that you can either go deeper into the darkness and never come out again and maybe even be more stuck than you ever were before or you can find freedom. I'm hoping it will be a breakthrough moment. I'm hoping this series has brought that. The reality is, is that most people don't do a whole lot when they're faced with temptation. Barna, a study that I continue to quote from, talked about America and their temptations out there and found that basically 59% of the Americans said in this poll that most of the time they don't do anything. They didn't do anything the last time that they were tempted. They just merely walked through the temptation. They just merely embraced it. The anger just flowed. The lust just was there. Whatever it was, they did nothing to stop it, to prevent it, to build in barriers, to keep things into control, to reorder their life. They just merely fell headlong. And then what happens out of that? You have guilt, shame, and regret that is born. We talked about these, this pyramid back here, this triangle, as being that attraction area, being the, the foundation of freedom, of caging in, boxing in this, this guilt, this shame, and reordering those attractions, starving them if you need to, reordering them in your life, and getting them on, on the right order, acquiring a taste. I referred to that a couple of weeks ago. A taste for God and the things of God. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. I'm asking you to encouraging you to acquire a taste, a new attraction, a new desire. The second thing we talked about was avoiding the opportunities. So the opportunities are going to be out there. But if we allow space, if we allow a gap... What does Satan do? He moves in. He builds a citadel. He builds a stronghold. He makes himself resident, president in that area of your life, even as a believer. And we went through all of that last week, and so we'll not relive that again this week. And how are we going to deal with that? We gotta, we gotta get rid of that opportunity. We gotta declare war on it. Okay. This is the area of my life. I'm stuck in it. I need help from it. Judith this past week said, I have been fighting, wanting to quit. Smoking for 50 years, I'm declaring war on it today. Five years of, five days of victory. I'll count it, man. One day at a time. The second thing is that you surrender to Jesus as your commander in chief. If you're going to war, you need to make sure you got somebody who has a good battle plan. And so get in and follow in line and step with him and then take one 
victory at a time. Take one thought captive at a time. Take one enemy at a time. Take one area of your life at a time. If, if Judith makes it six days and doesn't pick up a cigarette, great. If Tom makes it another 31 years without drinking, great. He's got that victory in his life. If you make it tomorrow without losing your temper, great. You made it one day. Whatever it is, identify it. This would be great. You'd think that that would be enough to kind of keep guilt, shame, and regret under control. Let me tell you about a situation. I was on an Air France flight from Paris to Atlanta a few weeks ago. I was the only one on the, uh, on the team that returned on that flight. I was all by myself sitting in my little coach seat in the back, but it was like a French experience in the sense, in every sense of the way, I could say that, because they were speaking in French and the, the movies were in French and they even brought cappuccinos if you ordered a cappuccino. And so it was like a French, French pastries is what they served us. So it was like a, a little France inside of the plane. There was a lady sitting next to me that was a French lady. Now, nothing against French, but their moral standards are a little bit different than ours. And so she was watching a movie. Now, mind you, I'm sitting in coach. That means I'm in the cattle crawl in the back with the commoners. And so it's, it's me here and her here. She's closer than I like to sit to anybody except maybe my wife. And so she's here and I'm here and she's watching her French movie that is in nothing short of pornography. Now, I'm two weeks away from my wife, and I'm a man, and she's watching it. I have an opportunity that I can't control. I have an attraction that I'm like, "Eh, you know, it's there. What am I going to do? That was not enough of an answer for me right there. Opportunity I had no control of. Literally, I looked around the plane to see if there was any other empty seat, and there was not. Jumping was not really an attractive option either. So I had to stay on the plane for the next eight hours. So I want to bring in another word. It's the word boundaries. Because in in this situation, the word that got me through this would be boundaries. Because there was one voice inside of my head, I have to admit, hey, you're a guy. Hey, there's nobody looking. Nobody on the plane knows who you are. And knows what you do. You can get by with this. There's complete anonymity. All right? Just do it. One voice in my head. One other faint voice in my head, but yet faint, but yet very abundantly clear, was saying, remember the commitment you made? Remember Job 31 verse 1? You remember your freshman year? You remember when you you made that commitment? I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a woman. You remember that? I do. And it was because when I was a freshman in in college, I came across that verse and I made that commitment then that I have had that as one of my boundaries in my life, that even whenever opportunity is there, even whenever attraction is there, that boundaries are going to help keep me in place. I've made a covenant with these eyes that I'm not going to go there. Now, this is when I have to white knuckle it a lot because I've got eight hours on a plane next to a French woman watching porn. And it is very tempting to look over her shoulder. It's very tempting to engage in the moment. It's very alluring. But I've made a commitment with my eyes not to look lustfully at a woman. What are boundaries? 
My definition of boundaries are practical, rational, biblical standards you set for yourself before the temptation. Before the temptation. I am not going to do this. I will do this. I am not going to do this. I'm going to be committed to this hell or high water. This is my standard that I'm going to live by. Making these honest, real, bold statements about yourself and about what you're going to do and not going to do is going to be important. Take, take for example, let's just talk about sexual boundaries. If that's an area that you struggle in, go, just remember back a few weeks ago, Galatians 5.19. Here you got, he mentions that if you're walked by the Spirit, you won't gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are evident. What are they? Well, they are sexual immorality impurity, and sensuality. Sexual immorality is porneo. It's the Greek word porneo where we get our English word porno. It's what, I don't want that. I've made a commitment that I'm not going to do that. So I don't want to engage in that impurity. Any kind of sexual deviation away from God's plan would be a sexual impure act. We talked about this a few weeks ago. It's not a human rights issue. It's a God's right or wrong issue. Homosexuality. When you come to that topic, it's really not about somebody having rights. In my mind, it's about is it right or is it wrong? And when I come to this verse right here, it's it's an impurity. And again, you have to listen to that message to catch a little bit more of that. Sensuality. Sensuality is basically reckless sex. Anything outside of marriage, anything that is not inside the confines of what is considered a godly marital mar- uh, uh, sexual relationship. Now, let me, just, let me just capitalize on this for a moment. Notice I didn't pick on the homosexuals. I also picked on the heterosexuals. It doesn't matter if you're a porn addict or if you're drawn to or if you have allurement to. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Is it right or is it wrong? According to Scripture, is it right or is it wrong? See, attraction, life principle for you, attraction doesn't equal acceptable behavior. So set some standards for your life. What are they going to be to make your, your, your life more set apart, more the way God wants it? Addiction boundaries. If you have a trouble with addictions, you need to be writing out this afternoon. This is a rut that I'm in. This is something I'm struggling with, and I'm going to have to have, I'm going to conquer it, and here's how I'm going to conquer it. Chad shared with me last Monday about how a year ago at this time he got on his motorcycle intoxicated and drove it off into a ditch, nearly killed himself. Walked with the family through the entire process. He told me Monday morning, he says, I've been nearly a year that I haven't drank a beer. He said, I feel like I'm free from that. He goes on to say, but I still struggle with the desire The attraction is still there. He said, literally, I will take the long way home, a different path home, to make sure I don't pass in front of a liquor store. Whatever it means, whatever boundaries you need to put in place, put them in place. Think practically. Think biblically. Set them in place now before the temptation comes. Spending. For some, it's spending. They just overspend. They just spend to the the paycheck is gone, and then they keep spending. Lori and I, dual-income family, are still committed to being debt-free as fast as we can, as soon as we can. And what we're going to do and what we have been doing and what we are continuing to do is living by the envelope method. If you don't know what that is, you need to take Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. 
The envelope method keeps us on a cash basis and keeps us out of trouble. It's a standard. It's a barrier. It's a boundary that we have put in our life to help us stay straight. Emotional boundaries. Are you stuck in your emotions? Is anger what you deal with? I talked about anger last week. Now, set up some boundaries in your home. What are going to be some boundaries in your home? Let me tell you about one of ours. I don't know that any counselor would recommend this, so you can take it with a grain of salt. But Lori and I, again, as as I said last week, we can have a spirited conversation in our marriage. And uh, so as our children were growing up and they would have their little spirited conversations, we'd have to tell them, no, you cannot raise your voice. What would they say to us? But you raise your voice. Okay. Make a deal with you. Whenever you hear us raising our voice, you come into the bedroom, you come into wherever we are, and you tell us that we're raising our voice. That's humiliating when your kids have to call you out on raising your voice. But we did it. Caleb was the world's worst. He would catch us. If we had any inflection in our voice, he would call us out and call us down. No, you're raising your voice. And so whatever it takes, set some boundaries in the home so that you can start gaining freedom. Why are boundaries? Keep coming back to boundaries, sexual, emotional, whatever it is, addictions, whatever it is. Boundaries are important. Here's the thing about boundaries. If you get good boundaries... You're going to go deep and you're going to go wide and you're going to ask the right questions and you're going to get time-tested, proven boundaries, healthy boundaries. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 10 says, Do not move the ancient boundaries. Don't move the boundaries that have been there through the years. Don't rewrite our moral code. Don't rewrite our ethics. Listen, let's find something true and solid and let's stick to it. With pluralism, basically saying that all faiths are equal. And relativism, basically saying there's no absolute truth. We have two eroding factors to our boundaries in our culture today. We have got to push back against it in our own families. Hosea chapter 5 verse 10 says, Like those who move boundary markers... I will pour out my fury on them like water. Listen, boundaries are there for us so that whenever you're riding on a French airplane with a French woman next to you watching porn, you can still say no. Boundaries are there to help you whenever you have that argument in the home and when you're about to lose your temper. The boundaries help keep you. Okay, this is against the rules. We're not going to touch each other. We're not going to go that far anymore. I want to talk about boundaries in the, in the light of James. James gives us like, uh, James is like the half-brother of Jesus, and he gives us six kind of almost military kind of way, uh, cadence kind of form, six different boundaries for our life. And so you might jot them down real quickly here. Number one, you need to know who your leader is. In, J- in James chapter 4, James chapter 4, verse 7, he gives us a very clear instruction, submit yourself. Submit yourself to God. Who are you submitting to? Who is your number one? Who are you answering to? Who are you pleasing? Who are you living your life for? Your flesh is going to say, do what you want to do, when you want to do it, how you want to do it. And if you do that, you're going to find yourself stuck again and again and again and again. You're going to move from one stuckness to another stuckness. 
But we're going to have to submit ourselves to a new authority, to a new voice. If we don't get number one right, we miss the rest of the boat. Number one is absolutely important. But you'll find that the greatest men and women of the faith lived out number one. James referred to himself as being a a servant of God. Paul himself, a servant of Christ. Peter said, I'm a servant. Uh, Jude said, I'm a servant. Even Jesus himself lived under the authority of the Father. I first read this verse 15 years ago. John chapter 5, verse 19. So the Son can do nothing of himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son also does. The Son can do nothing of Himself. Even the Son lived under the authority of the Father. You cannot get from out from under the authority of the Father and expect to have victory in your life. Who is going to be the authority? I read that, that verse for the first time in the book, Experiencing God, 15 years ago. I'm still recommending that book to you today as the number one resource that if you want to get Christ as the forefront of your life, walking with Him, knowing His voice, I'm encouraging you to do this. I'm going to, every one of these, I'm going to give you a recommended resource because I've got so much material. I've been dumping fuel every week to get this plane landed. And so here's a lot of resources that you can do further study on. And go further with this. Number two, know your leader, know who your leader is not. What does he say there? He says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. But you can't separate the first part of that verse from the last part of that verse. Submit yourself to the Lord, resist the devil, and what will be the result of that? Read it to me. He will flee from you. I love the last part, but I can't have the last part until I do the second part. I can't do the second part until I do the first part. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil. He's not my leader. And what will he do? He will flee from me. Now, I would like to claim the first part, but then I want to do it my own way. If you do it your own way, you're not submitting to the Father. You will not, here's a life principle for you, you will not be, you will not, excuse me, you have to be under authority before you can ever be over. You have to be willing to be under before you can be over. Are you willing to submit yourself to the authority of God in your life? I said this last week and I want to say it to you again because I want you to hear it. I want you to walk out of here. And Judith came back and she quoted it to me last week, uh, this morning, when she told me about her stopping smoking. If you're a follower of Christ today, there's not a single area of your life that Satan has control over. Your thoughts, your attitudes, your actions, your ways that you haven't given him that authority. If you've allowed him to move in and to take that opportunity and to set up shop, he will do it. Neil Anderson said it like this, demons are like invisible germs looking for someone to infect. We're never told in Scripture to be afraid of them. You just need to be aware of the reality and commit yourself to know truth and to live a righteous life. Neil Anderson in his book Bondage Breakers is by far the number one book that I would recommend if you want to continue this stuck study. Because you notice the subtitle, it's Overcoming Negative Thoughts, Irrational Feelings, and Habitual sins. If you're stuck in an area, you need to find freedom. You need to go further in this area and know who your leader is not and get freedom from that. The third is to know your leader. 
So know who your leader is, know who your leader is not, but then you've got to know, intimately know your leader. Now let me say something to you that may rub some of you wrong in your own Christian faith. God initiates our relationship in the Holy Spirit when He draws us and calls us to Him. But the burden of responsibility of our relationship with God The quality of our relationship is on you and me. He, you want to play games with God? Play games with God. God will just watch you play games. You want to be a fake with God? Be a fake with God and He'll call you out on it. You want to draw near to God? And He's going to draw near to you. You draw near to God and God will draw near to you. God wants an intimate relationship with you, but if you're not going to be serious about it, you're just going to play games, then He will allow you to go on playing games. Hosea 6.3 says, Let us strive to know the Lord. There is some sweat in this. There is some diligence in this. There is some commitment to this. There is some sacrifice in this. Draw near to Him, and He's going to draw near to you. You will come together. John Ortberg's book, The Life You've Always Wanted. Because some of y'all are right right now say, I want to know God. I want to connect with Him. I don't know how to connect with Him. In this book, he talks about spiritual disciplines. There's a lot to say about spiritual disciplines. The things that we should do so that we can become and connect with God the way we want to. Here's just some of my own. I want to give God the first of my life. Any area of my life. I want to give Him the first day of my week. First, I want to give Him the first part of every day. I want to give him the first dime out of every dollar. I want to give him the first consideration in every decision. A few years ago, back 20, I was 27. We were in a process of feeling God separating us from the church that we were at. Time to leave this church. I was ready to go that day. Lori was not quite ready. We were still working through it, praying about where we were going to go next and where we were going to go for our family. And it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a tense time in my own heart. I was ready to go. I talked to a mentor of mine in Little Rock on the phone, and and he shared with me just some real great wisdom that I didn't want to hear. He said, Mike, you just got to wait. Wait was not what I wanted to hear. Go is what I wanted to hear. There is where I wanted to hear. Somewhere else is where I wanted to hear. I did not want to hear wait. We hung up the phone. He wrote me a personal card. I got it about two days later. In that card, he wrote this verse, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 18. And I have been quoting this verse and praying this verse over so many people because it has meant so much to me ever since. The path of the righteous grows brighter and brighter as the day is full. He was telling me, Mike, if you'll just stay and you'll just wait and you'll just let God lead you, that path that seems dark and dreary right now, it will become clear. You just keep walking with me. You just keep following me. Four, purge the dirt. If there's any secrets in your life, anything you're holding back, anything that you're not telling, anything that you're holding on to as your own little private part, get rid of it. What does James say? He says, cleanse your hands, purify your hearts, you double-minded. That's basically somebody who's going to be one thing on Sunday but another thing on Saturday. I'll be one thing at Body Life Group, but when I get home, 
I'm a totally different person. That's a double-minded person. James chapter 1 also says, when he uses the same phrase, double-minded, he says a double-minded person is unstable in all his ways. Listen, if there's something unclean in you and you know it and God has revealed it to you in the course of this study, get it out. Purge it, get it out of your life, whatever it may be, get rid of it. A book I would recommend on this is Crazy Love. We give it out to all of our new members You get to the chapter on lukewarm, and if that won't rock you, I don't know what will. Embrace the pain, number five. You're going to feel pain. He noticed this. He says, be wretched and mourn. Now, hold it just a moment, James. I get to submit to God. I get to resist the devil. I get to him fleeing from you. I I get all those. But why would I intentionally be wretched and mourn? I can't fully develop this, but let me say this. There is a good thing with being broken. There's a good thing with facing your darkness. David, for a year, ran from God ran from his sin of adultery, his sin of murder of Uriah. He ran from God. Even the king of the nation was running from God. And you come to Psalm chapter 51, and you'll find there where he is confessing, finally broken. And what what did he encounter in that mourning wretchedness that he was in? You read it, Psalm 51 on your own. He found this beautiful reality. In Psalm 51, verse 17, a broken and contrite spirit, oh God, you will not despise. See, there's a, a, and I I can't fully develop this, there's something right about leading life, living life from a, from a broken heart, from a humble heart, from a mourning side of you that, 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 that is whole but broken. It keeps you at a level playing field with other people. Beware that Satan will turn it into accusing. He's the accuser of the brothers, brethren. He, he wants to make you feel filthy and dirty, and we'll come to that in a moment. But God is about bringing conviction and wholeness uh, to us. A book for this, Healing Path. Actually, a great book. I started a few months ago. I picked it back up yesterday. It is a great book on Finding a path through the brokenness, through the shambles of life, and being able to put it back together into wholeness. All right? Number six, walk humbly. Walk humbly. Book I recommend for this is Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Hands down, the number one book that I recommend to anybody else is this book right here. Because my wholeness spiritually is based in part of my wholeness emotionally. Am I well in every area of my life? And this book has helped me immensely put this, put my life together. Now notice this. He has gone full circle, James has. He's talked about submitting to God as the number one thing. But then he comes and he talks about humbling ourselves. They're almost the same thing. One is under God. They're almost cousins of the same. I am not the mighty one. I'm not the great one. God is the great one. I need to walk in a sense of humility out there in this world. As I live out my life, don't let Satan write your narrative. 
walk humbly with God. Walk humbly in, in, in brokenness, but yet also in the reality, because humility is not me slumped over, walking in woe is me, and I'm, I'm a poor, wretched person. No, no, no. Humility is knowing who you are not, but it's also knowing who you are. Humility is not is knowing I am not the great person, the, the mighty person, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That's not me, and I need to quit trying to be that. But it is knowing who you are. Now, when you came in today, I hope you got it. If you didn't on your, on your way out, you should get one of these. It's a sheet of paper that just has a bunch of statements on there. Because here's the reality, is so many of us struggle with who we are. In fact, Neil uh, Neil Anderson said this, he said, Every defeated Christian I have worked with has had one thing in common. None of them have known who they are in Christ. Neil Anderson, again, the book I recommend most for this topic, is every defeated person he's worked with, they don't know who they are in Christ. The reality is you are accepted, you are secure, and you are significant. And these are verses in God's Word that back it up. Because some of you all today, because of the stuckness that you've been wrestling with for 20 or 30 years, you feel like a heap of wasted human flesh at times. God could never love me. You could never love me. You could never accept me. You could never embrace me. You're going to leave me if you ever find out about my darkness. The beauty of a relationship with God is knowing who you are not. I'm not God, but knowing who you are. I am accepted. I am secure. I am significant. And by the grace of God, I am complete. That's a boundary that you're not going to let Satan come in and tell you lies and deceive you and accuse you and to break you down any longer. I did, let me tell you a story as I close I did relationships pretty bad for a while. In my years of pastoring, I've realized that most people do relationships pretty bad until there's something that triggers in them and says, I've got to do something different. I was doing relationships my own way, my own call, my own everything. And this relationship that I had fell apart before my eyes and my whole life fell apart in front of me. I thought this was my everything. I will give my everything to this one person. This, you are it. And it was, it, that it was gone. I didn't know how I was going to rebuild from that. In fact, I can remember. I can remember going to my bedroom and burying my face in the carpet. We had green carpet in my bedroom. And I can remember burying my face in the carpet and crying. And on the stereo came a song. I still have this song on my iPad today, on my my song selection today. And I can remember crying and I can remember then hearing this song And I got the the album, that's how old I am. I got the album and I listened to it and I listened to it and I listened to it. And the song said, Lord, I'm really glad you're here. I hope you feel the same when you see all my fears and how I failed. I fall sometimes. It's hard to walk on shifting sand. I miss the mark, I miss the rock and find I've nowhere left to stand. I start to cry. Lord, please help me. 
raise my hands so you could lift me up. I love that statement because there was a time in my life I couldn't even raise my hand up to God. Raise my hand so you can lift me up. Hold me close. Hold me tighter. That was a breaking moment for me. I broke in that moment. But I also had a breakthrough in that moment. I said, never again. I'm going to learn how to do relationships right. And for a year and a half, I put a moratorium on relationships. I'm not doing it until I can do it right. I read books. I talked to people. I got counsel. A girl... I was attracted to someone. I'd turn my head and I'd walk the other way because I did not want to go back down that road again. And out of that period of time, I wrote five statements. And these were the five statements of my life that I wanted to be true of me, but I also wanted to be true of the future person I would date and the future person that I would marry. I would not date a person unless it was this. I had to be that and they had to be that. And it was five different things that I wrote it out. I still have it on a sheet of paper. It was really easy then because then I could take those five things and I could put it as a filter to every person that I came across. Every time there was an attraction, I would put that thing up. Nope, nope, don't fit that criteria, don't fit that criteria. What I was doing is I was putting boundaries in my life. I'm not going this route anymore. And all of a sudden across a crowded cafeteria, I ran into that girl right there and she met all five of the criteria. And we've been hanging out and dating for 25 years or plus now. I say all that to say this. It took a breaking before I could have a breakthrough. But in that breakthrough, I decided I'm going to set some boundaries for my life so that I don't jack this up anymore in the rest of my life. Would you bow your heads with me? I don't know where you're stuck today. I don't know... If you know, I know many people have shared with me their areas of being stuck. My prayer to God is that you are finding freedom, taking the steps to freedom, identifying what that is. And beginning today, if you don't know where to start, where do I start anywhere? Take that area, that one area, and submit it to God. And whenever you feel that draw, that temptation into that that area again, resist it. And as you submit to God and as you resist, you will experience Satan walking away. Now he'll come back. He knows his way back. But you'll find freedom and you'll find victory. Draw near to him and he will draw near to you. Cleanse yourself of the dirt, of the filth. Just take it step by step. Build boundaries into your life that are wholesome and good and healthy. Boundaries that are ancient boundaries, that are tried and true boundaries. Father God, would you take this moment and would you break the chains? Would you set the captive free in Jesus' name? And only in and through his name do we pray. Amen. Would you stand and sing with us?